You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 30. I had a hard time believing he was real, I think because we had done so much preparation and taken your course and knew about the process. I forgot at the end of it that there'd be a baby. I thought I'd cry going into it. And then when he came out, I was just kind of in shock. They were really good about skin to skin right away. So I saw him wailing on her chest and I'm thinking, whoa, this is a real person that we're about to bring home. And that's, that's all that I could conjure up in the moment. I, I didn't get emotional or I was happy, but I, I just, I wasn't like any of the men in the video you showed us that were instantly in tears. I just kind of was like, whoa, look at that. <laughs> And welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on this show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. If you enjoy this show, we'd be incredibly grateful if you'd share it with a friend. You can follow and share our posts on social media at Birth Matters NYC or simply tell them to search for Birth Matters wherever they listen to podcasts. Today, Birth Matters alums Jess and Rich share the story of their firstborn son's birth. Jess explains how super prepared she was, reading up on everything she could get her hands on, hiring a doula in the second trimester, focusing on eating nutrient-dense foods, taking prenatal yoga classes and childbirth education classes. She proceeds to share how, while she had very much hoped for a completely unmedicated birth, she and Rich were able to swing with the curveballs they were dealt toward a satisfying, great birth experience. They go into details about being induced at 41 weeks, six days after refusing to be scheduled for several days leading up to that, and proceeding with an induction using Cytotec, a Foley balloon, and artificially rupturing the membranes. This story is an example of an induction in which Pitocin wasn't needed, not the most common road for an induction to take, but can happen, for which Jess was very thankful. They'll also share about how they chose a doula, how Rich and doula Tia worked together optimally, and about early breastfeeding challenges and receiving the support of both Tia and then an IBCLC, or International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. Finally, they'll share a couple of tips for the journey into parenthood. Before we begin today's story, this episode is brought to you by the Natural Breastfeeding Online Course. Are you wondering what breastfeeding will be like? Have you heard it's really hard and really painful from friends? I'd like to share with you this fantastic online course that was created by top breastfeeding experts. In the Natural Breastfeeding Online course, here are just a few things you'll learn. That breastfeeding doesn't have to be painful and it shouldn't be, and how the position you breastfeed in can make all the difference in the world. The 40-day blueprint to maximize milk production and help you meet your long-term goals, including returning to work. How to relax while breastfeeding so you don't have to choose between getting your rest and feeding your baby. How to prepare your home environment for safety and convenience. How to identify when you need to get help and where to find it. And the most common reasons breastfeeding derails. The course is broken down into 60 brief videos, each titled as common questions new breastfeeding parents have. So you can pick and choose the questions you have or go through all of it. 
While the regular price of the course is $147, because I'm a professional member, I'm thrilled to offer this course to you at a steep discount. To learn more or grab the course, visit the show notes for this episode at birthmattersshow.com or visit birthmattersnyc.com slash links and click the Natural Breastfeeding Online Course button. Now let's get started with today's birth story. Welcome to the Birth Matters Podcast. Today I have Jessica and Rich with me. And actually, I should have asked you, Jess, Jessica, before we started um, recording, do you prefer to be called Jess or Jessica? Uh, Jess is fine, but I will answer to both. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Well, welcome to the show. Right now, Jess is with us, uh, and hopefully Rich will be able to join us at some point. He's putting the little one down right now for a nap. Hopefully. So, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> so you gave birth a little over a year ago, right? Yeah, we just celebrated our first birthday uh, in December. So officially 13 months. Um, it flew by. Like everyone tells you, it actually does fly by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you have a party or any little gathering for We him? did. We had, we had like a unreasonably large party um, for a baby who will never remember that he had a first birthday party. Um, it's more for you at that age, right? It really is. But um, <laughs> Rich's family is all here in the area and my family all flew up from uh, Georgia. So we just decided to like have a whole thing. So it was really fun. <laughs> Nice. That's great. Well, so do, would you like to share anything about your pregnancy journey and, and what it was like? Uh, what kinds of steps did you take to prepare yourself for giving birth and becoming a parent? Yeah, um, I'm like a chronic over-researcher. So <laughs> I did a lot of reading. I read a lot of books. I also like I um, was formerly a dancer and so it was really important to me to like stay in shape just because <clears throat> everyone talks about like we talked I actually talk a lot about this in your class where like birth is a marathon <laughs> and it is and so I kind of knew that like it was the point in my life where I might want to work out the least but it was it was like more important to work out then than ever before really and so I did a lot of prenatal yoga which I found so so helpful I would recommend it to any if you've never done yoga before, I recommend it um, just because it was like um, not just uh, physically pre preparational, but also just like emotionally and like just really tuning into your breath all the time was so, so helpful. Um, and even just kind of like lowering the stress level like during pregnancy, I felt like that was even helpful. I actually told one of my coworkers the other day that I wish I could go back to a prenatal yoga class, even though I'm not pregnant, because it was just that amazing. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I would I would recommend it to anyone hands down. <laughs> we were also, um, we, we prepared nutritionally too. We were, I would say over-prepared in a good way to make sure that Jess had all the right things in her system throughout her pregnancy. We, we bought several cookbooks and our kitchen was always a mess because we were constantly cooking, but I think it paid dividends. I would, yeah. I wasn't the one who was pregnant, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I would do that all over again if we, if we had to. So yeah. I love that. That's great. And one thing I forgot to mention before we hit record is if you want to promote any local businesses or your care provider or anybody you worked with along the way, I love to name those mm -hmm. uh, if it was a positive thing. So I was just curious where you took your yoga classes. Yeah, I actually took all my classes with the prenatal yoga center. So they're, they're on the mm -hmm. Upper West Side, mm -hmm. um, but they have like satellite classes throughout the week. So there was a class that was closer to where I worked um, downtown. So oh. I went to that class um, 
every week, which was really great. And then closer to, and like on Saturdays or kind of like closer to the due date, I actually ended up going to the Upper West Side location quite a lot. (laughs) So it was really great. I like would highly recommend it. Um, Their teachers are so knowledgeable and gracious. They're amazing. They're wonderful. And the woman who runs it, Deb Blaschenberg, has a great podcast by the name of uh, Yoga Birth Babies. Absolutely love that podcast. So shout out (laughs) to Deb. If you take her class, you're just like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Prenatal yoga is so amazing. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Glad that you experienced that, the benefits of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Other way. So prenatal yoga, nutrition, were there other things? Yeah. And obviously I took your class. That's how I know you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. How, and how did you find my class? Google. You <laughs> good old Google. Really good SEO. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. No, I found your class on Google. And then after I had, after I had done researching, we actually found out that we actually did know people that had taken your class. And so then I talked to them and they had nothing but amazing things to say about you also. So I was like, well, this is clearly a sign. We, it was definitely also like a huge plus that you were Queens based because like everything, like I just love to like stay in the neighborhood and like stay local and kind of like know the people that you're, you know, especially being a parent. I feel like that is definitely key is like building your community around you is, is um, so, so important. So that was definitely a huge plus as well. Yeah. When we took birth class, one of my, I mean, I, I loved our birth class. It was a total game changer, but one thing I kind of wish that I had realized was that I, I wish I had been able to find one that was in our neighborhood for the mm-hmm. reasons that you just said, to be able to connect with people who are living in that immediate area is huge. Because when you just have a little bitty baby, you're not up for traveling all over borough to borough in New York City, you know? Yeah. And most of the people who <laughs> took the class, we took the class with were in like Manhattan or Brooklyn and we're in Queens. And right. so we, it was hard to stay in touch at least long-term, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So great. Nice. Was there anything else for in terms uh, of prep? Yeah. The last thing I'll mention, and it'll come up again later, is that we did hire a doula. Actually, like immediately when I got pregnant, I knew I wanted a doula. I had heard about doulas. I had done some reading. So I knew that was something I wanted. And I'm like, so, so glad that we did. And I would recommend having a doula to anyone. That's another thing I have to be like, take prenatal yoga, like get a doula, take birth classes. Like these are things that you will not regret doing ever. So yeah, so we um, ended up hiring a doula as well. And that was a game changer for us. Do you remember about how many weeks you were when you hired the doula? Um... I believe I was kind of, uh, let's say second trimester sometime. <laughs> nice. In, in the twenties or something. That's um, nice. That's earlier than a lot of people. It was early. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a chronic like over researcher, over preparer. So like I had like a timeline, like I think my registry was like already done by like tri- second trimester. So like I, <laughs> I definitely like over prepared in some ways. <laughs> Great. How many prenatals did you have with your doula before the big day? Do you remember? We had uh, two prenatal appointments um, and then we had two postnatal appointments as well. And then she actually ended up coming with us to a a doctor's appointment uh, shortly before the labor, which is, we'll get into that later, but yeah. Nice. How'd you find your doula? Doula net? Doula Doula match.net maybe? Uh Doulamatch.net. Yeah. Uh Which was, I thought was kind of like a weird... (laughs) way to find a doula because it's kind of like online dating you like put in things and then like <laughs> show you people who are like available and ma- match your criteria so we actually met with like five doulas which might have been overkill again I'm an over preparer over researcher but I'm like and they were all actually great honestly like they were I didn't have any like negative reactions or, about any of them but when I met Tia 
like within like the first 10 minutes of having a conversation with her, I was like, this is it. She's the one. Like, <laughs> and we just like, we, it was like a personality thing, which I think a lot of people will tell you about Gula's. There's something about, um, you just have to have that like connection and that personality thing to like make it work. Definitely. Yeah. So important because you're going to be at your most vulnerable and you want to be comfortable with that. (laughs) So I think it's fabulous that you interviewed as many as you did because most people are kind of scrambling at the very end of pregnancy as they come to birth class and realize, oh, this is a thing. This this actually really is a valuable thing to consider. And and so it makes it harder to interview that many when when it's at the end of pregnancy. Great. Well, thanks for sharing all that. I love all the preparation that you did. So do you want to jump into your birth story? Yeah, definitely. Funny enough, um, I actually had to read it last night because you had emailed me shortly after um, I gave birth and you kind of asked how it went. And so I had like typed all of it up and it's a blog post now, which is great. I'm and I'll so link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you did that because I think, um, I think I would have forgotten a lot of details if I hadn't have written it down. I mean, it hasn't even been that long. It's been like a year and I had to reread it already to remember kind of like all the things that happened. So yeah, that was great. Yeah. So to get into it, I was like, as I said, over-prepared, over-researched and I had taken your class. And so I like, which was incredibly extensive in terms of just like all the things that you can know about labor. And so I was like very much dead set on having like a natural birth. I had decided that uh, I wanted to be in a hospital. We visited a birthing center. I didn't really feel comfortable there. It just made me a little bit nervous to just like, my brain was going to the worst case scenario. And so I just like couldn't, I didn't feel like I would feel comfortable giving birth there. Um, That was a freestanding one? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I didn't feel comfortable there. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to stick with the hospital, but I still want that like natural labor experience. So I knew that was going to be a little more difficult in a hospital setting, but I was confident like with my doula, with education that we had, that it was something that was achievable. But as we all know, nothing in birth ever goes according to your plan. <laughs> so I ended up actually not delivering until 42 weeks, but my healthcare provider throughout, um, the time who I really liked had told me that she would allow me to go up until 41 weeks and six days. She was like, I don't feel she's like, I'm not concerned about you carrying late. She's like, baby looks fine. She's like, I'll let you go as long as you want. She's like up until 41 weeks, six days, like do whatever you need to do. Um, She's like, if you decide you want to go in earlier, that's fine, but whatever. And I was like, okay, that makes me feel better. Like my mom was actually carried almost to 42 weeks with all three of us. And so I was like, if, if I'm anything like my mother, this is like a very real possibility. <laughs> um, so I was mentally prepared for that. Um, but honestly, that was like that last week um, was probably like one, like the hardest week of pregnancy, um, because obviously, you know, you're physically um, tired, <laughs> you're tired. Um, and then just emotionally, I was upset because I was feeling a lot of pressure um, to just kind of like go into labor. <laughs> even from like well-meaning people who are texting you, like, is the baby here yet? And they're all like, you know, they, they just want to know because they love you. But you're also like, no, leave me alone. The baby's not here. Um, <laughs> but I remember that being a very like difficult week. Funny enough, my healthcare provider went on vacation right at my 41 week appointment. So she was not going to be around anymore. And there were other doctors at the practice that would be delivering the baby. I didn't particularly like have an affinity towards any of the other doctors of the practice. She was kind of like the only one that I really liked. 
So that was definitely a bummer. And I kind of wish I had known that sooner. The other doctors were not as lenient with letting me go as late as she was. And so they were very much pushing me to induce at 41 weeks, three days, 41 weeks, four days. Um, we went to the doctor a lot that last week where they kept doing stress tests. Everything looked fine. There was no reason to induce other than the fact that they just wanted to, or that was just kind of like their professional opinion that I should do that. So that was really, really tough. It actually even got to the point where the front desk had uh, at the doctor's office had called me and said like, here's your, you know, here's your appointment time at NYU. And I was like, um, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I was just about to ask you, like, were you pushing back? Were you, it sounds like you must've been pushing back if you kept <laughs> going later. Yeah. yeah. They just kept like having me come back in. And I guess they assumed that I would like eventually change my mind. But yeah, like at one point they had called and they were like, okay, you need to be at NYU at three o'clock or whatever. And I was like, I'm not trying to be, you know, a horrible patient. I was like, but I just want you to know I'm not going to be there. You know, like you should give this slot to somebody who actually needs it or wants it because it's not going to be mine. I'm not going to (laughs) go. So I was pretty like straightforward with them. Um, The last doctor's appointment we had at 41 weeks, four or five days, I don't remember. My doula Tia came with us. Uh, Because at that point, I think I was just like, I was really tired of having to like assert myself so much. And I felt very like dragged down. And so she was really amazing. And, you know, she just kind of, whenever the doctor would ask a question, she would be like, Jessica, what do you think about that? And she would just kind of like just having her presence there and having her kind of like rephrase questions or just kind of help me think through what the options were was really, really helpful. And I'm so, so thankful that she was there um, and that we had her support. Cause I think without it, I think I just would have like maybe given up or just either not given up, but like felt very um, uncomfortable with the whole thing because doctors are just very pushy and that's just how they are. (laughs) But yeah, so our induction was actually scheduled for, 41 weeks and six days, which I was like, that's what you told me. So that's what I'm going to go with. It was 4 PM, 41 weeks and six days. It was the latest appointment that I could possibly get. So like up until that point, the whole last week, we did literally everything that anyone has ever done to induce labor twice. Like I'm not once, twice, (laughs) literally everything. Like I kid you not. I was uh, like so much research, so much Googling. And like nothing was happening. I had some contractions the night before we went into the hospital that stopped. And I like walked up and down the stairs and did all those other things and like could not bring them back. And I was just kind of like the last day before we went on, I was like, you know what? It's just not going to happen. And we're just going to go in. This is how it's meant to be. (laughs) And do you remember, I know you said, you just said walking stairs, but were there, what were just a sampling of some of the other things you tried? Oh my goodness. All the different teas, like (laughs) the red raspberry, like, there were some uh, castor oil, which was like my last resort, but then I did it because I was like, nothing else is working. Maybe this will. It also didn't work. Let's see. A lot of sex. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there was a lot of that. Um, <laughs> spicy foods. There was, oh my goodness, I can't even remember all the other things. Uh, like a lot of walking. I was walking so much to the point where my doula was actually like, hey, I know you want to do labor, but like, don't tire yourself out. She's like, because if you do yeah. labor, you want to have energy to be able to labor. And I was like, you're right. Okay. So I stopped mm-hmm. walking quite as much, but I was walking a lot. So pretty much everything that I could think of or research on the internet, I was doing. It's worth trying. Yeah. You, know, you know, it could have helped. It could have helped. You, you never helped. know. <laughs> yeah. And then like, the, I remember the night, the night before we went in, 
rich uh, was really, really great. And he was like, okay, we're going to get like your mind off of everything. And then like, maybe, you know, like who knows, maybe something will happen because you're like stressed about this being induced. And I was like, okay, great. So he, we went to like this tapas place and I had a glass of wine, which I hadn't had in, you know, months. <laughs> so that was really nice. Um, and tapas. Then, you said, yeah. t- <laughs> at the first I thought you said topless. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Not quite, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Tapas. Yeah, like a, like gotcha. Tapas bar and had some wine. And was actually, um, it's part of the whole sex thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of people do different things. Oh, man, yeah. That would be weird. Uh, <laughs> oh, and then we went and saw Book of Mormon because we decided that I should go see something like really funny, like something that's going to like laugh and like not like nothing too serious or it's going to make me cry or like, you know, feel upset. So we saw Book of Mormon and then went home um, and actually had contractions in at dinner and then during the show a little bit. And then I couldn't get them back. It's like intermission. And I like started walking up and down the stairs of the theater and like nothing. So you really were trying so hard. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I was just telling Lisa, all the things that we did to try to induce labor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. We got really tired of date nights. <laughs> oh yeah, everyone kept telling us like go on a date night because it's like the last time you'll be able to go on a date for a while. And at the end we were like, okay, we've been on like a million dates and we've seen all the movies and we've I'm sick of you. Of <laughs> like, some movies we didn't even want to see, but people kept telling us to go out and so we we just we we tried to find ways to go out and then we just looked at each other at dinner one night and said, let's just make some pasta tomorrow night and hang out at home because this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Spending a month at home after having a baby was like kind of welcome after that. I was like, I'm kind of okay being home for a little while. I'm like dated out. So induction was scheduled 41 weeks, six days at 4 PM. I even went so far as to call the charge nurse on the labor and delivery floor and ask her what time I should be there because a lot of times you get there for an induction and you end up waiting three or four hours because they don't have a room because, and someone who's in active labor takes precedence over someone who's not, which makes sense. And so I actually called and she was like, oh, you know, she's like, actually by four, we'll have a room for you. She's like, go ahead and come at four. And so I was like, okay, great. And we actually did like immediately walk into a room. So that was nice. There was no like sitting in triage for three hours, like waiting for something to happen. So that was really great. We delivered at NYU Um, which generally was like a good experience. There was like one nurse that I didn't like, but I had like four nurses over the course of the induction. So one out of four is like fine. The other three were amazing. All of the um, nurses at the, in the mother and baby floor were like astonishingly amazing. Like I was just like, how do you take care of so many people and babies? And like, they're, they're amazing. So that was a really great experience. But yeah, so we went in at four o'clock, I guess. And they started with the round of cytotech, which luckily, again, because they took your class, I like knew all of the things that could happen at an induction. And so it was really helpful to just like mentally be prepared and know like what was probably happening or probably coming the next. And we had also, before we had gone in, we had revisited the birth plan with Tia as well, because I was concerned, like, obviously it's, it wouldn't be a completely unmedicated birth with you know, having an induction in the way that I did. So I kind of wanted to like reset expectations around what might not be possible, how we might adjust things. Did they try to sweep your membranes or strip your membranes before? Um, I asked at every appointment and they couldn't because I wasn't dilated, like not even a centimeter. Right. Okay. So they couldn't, Uh, but I did ask and which I, which I knew to ask because you had told me that. 
And I was like very hopeful. I was like, maybe I'll be like one centimeter dilated today and they'll be able to sleep. And they, and every time she was like, she was like, I'm sorry. She's like, I can't. <laughs> yeah. It's physically too shut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so even when I got to the hospital and they did the, they did an exam first and she was like, you're, she's like, you're barely a centimeter. She's like, not really even one centimeter. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so like labor was really not starting on its own in this case. I think, I think I was resigned. I was like, you know what? I was like, this is probably the only way this baby is coming. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good thing for me, I think, to like realize <laughs> like, okay, this is how it's going to happen. It's going to be good. Mm-hmm. So we did start with a round of cytotech. Um, and was that administered vaginally or orally? Vaginally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So slightly uncomfortable, but other, otherwise fine. You just had to like, I think I had to like lie flat for like 45 minutes or something. I like didn't want me to move or whatever. And then I was able to just kind of get up and do whatever. And I walked around, I like bounced on the ball. I tried like made sure I stayed hydrated and you're not supposed to eat, but like I snuck food when the nurses weren't in there. Um, Yay. <laughs> you know, I like hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I like, we packed like a whole bag full of food and snacks. Like I had made like miso soup and like all these things. I was like, I don't want to eat jello. I don't want Gatorade. Like I just, you know, like I want my own, I wanted to feel like I was at home. So I wanted to like have my own snacks there. So that was helpful. I probably, I definitely overpacked for the hospital. I'll, I will admit it. Better to be overpacked, right? Than under. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, it was just funny because when you go in for an induction and you, you're, it's almost like you're checking into a hotel, like you get there and you're like, hi, I'm here to have a baby. And then they like show you to a room. So it's just kind of like this weird, it was like not what I anticipated as like what the birth experience would be. So I kind of felt like really weird going in and like checking into the hospital. Cause it was just not what I imagined that I would ever be doing. Like I had this envision of like already being in labor when I got there, you know, and that's not what happened. So mm-hmm. having, you know, a, an extra two weeks after my due date to like, think about what to pack. I just like overpacked. Like, I think I actually was like better off when I packed the first time. Um, and then when I like repacked, I just like packed too much stuff. It was not, it was not good for me to have additional time to think about what I wanted to bring. So <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. So, so round of side attack that got me to like one centimeter, <laughs> one full centimeter. And then we decided to do a Foley balloon, which was my like next preferred thing regardless of like what they suggested like that's what I was hoping for because that's like a less medical thing um there's no like drugs or anything involved I was kind of terrified of Pitocin especially because I really like wanted to try for a natural birth as much as I could and I had the feeling that I wouldn't be able to uh, with Pitocin and so I was like you know trying to stay away from that so I was like really hoping that I would like go into labor and not need it but the Foley balloon, I actually started to feel contractions, which was actually kind of exciting at the time. Um, so I was like, oh, it's finally happening. I'm like, <laughs> finally, like kind of in labor. When they inserted the Foley balloon, how was that for you? Was it painful? Was it medium? Was it not? Um, I would definitely say it's not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I don't fair, know that it was like necessarily painful. It's like there's a lot of discomfort at first, but then kind of like once they're done doing that, you're kind of like, oh, okay, like I'm fine now. But yeah, I would say for like maybe like 20 seconds, there's like some discomfort happening there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was able to feel the contractions for the first time, which was great. Cause obviously like I'd been hooked up to the monitor for, you know, since I had checked in and like, I kept seeing contractions, you know, like on the monitor, but I wasn't feeling anything. And so it was kind of exciting to like actually 
field contractions. Oh, one note, I was able to get a wireless monitor at NYU, which was like a huge game changer because I could walk around the room, I could be on the ball, go to the bathroom. It was so, so nice to have that. NYU is one of the only hospitals currently in New York City that I know of that says they have wireless and actually does, they actually do use them. So that's a nice, that is a great benefit if you have to be on continuous, such right. as with your case in an induction. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the, the funny thing, the, like the tip that I'll give people is that like, they really, really don't want to use the wireless monitor. I'm not sure why the, the thing that I was getting from them was that it doesn't work as well or they don't trust it or whatever. Yeah. Not a lot really. of nurses have that opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it was, it took a lot of poking and prodding from our doula to like get me the wireless monitor. And they actually brought like two different ones and they had to like reposition it several times. So it was like, they really don't like it. They don't want to do it. So if it's something that you feel very strongly about, you really have to advocate for yourself to get it because otherwise yes. it just won't. So I, I was really, really thankful that we were able to get one. Mm, thank you for pointing that out. That's a great point. But yeah, the Foley balloon um, actually was kind of like, once I started feeling contractions, I think that actually like got me, like my adrenaline started pumping and I was like, okay, great, this is happening. Obviously contractions aren't fun in any way, but I felt like they were obviously early labor contractions, so they weren't too bad and I was able to kind of like get through them. And so I was actually feeling pretty confident at that point. I was like, okay, I can, I think I can do this. Like I can get through these contractions. Like I can run the ball and changing positions and walking around like this feels great or doesn't feel great, but like overall feeling good about what was happening in my body. And the, when the Foley balloon came out, I was four centimeters dilated. So I was kind of like, felt like that was like a huge accomplishment for me. <laughs> but again, like, so once they had taken the Foley balloon out, I stopped feeling contractions again. <laughs> I was a little upset. I was like, uh, I was like, I know what the next step is. It's Pitocin. Like, that's what they're going to give me. And so I was like, a little sad, like trying to mentally prepare myself. Like, okay, this is, this is happening. Like, I just need to get on board. Like this is the only other option. And my healthcare provider actually really surprised me when she was doing the cervical exam. She said, Oh, you know what? Your water is really bulging. Why don't we break it and see if that helps? And I was like, yes, that sounds great. Let's please do that. So I was really, really happy to hear her say that. I had two, two different providers during the induction. So like I had one when I checked in and then one when I actually delivered. So this was the first time I had saw the, the doctor who would actually deliver and so I was like really happy that she said that. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like maybe this will work. And boy, did it work. Like <laughs> definitely, like I, I definitely had read things about like once your water breaks, like your contractions are like significantly worse, but I did not prepare me for how much worse they would be. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is much different than the early labor contractions. Like this is just a whole different ball game. And yeah, that was when shit got real. <laughs> Like very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can do that for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely one of those where like, I'm not feeling my contractions at all. And then suddenly like, oh my God, <laughs> there they are. Um, so yeah, that was, yeah, that was, I remember that, that moment just because it's like burned into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it, so it must have been a fairly large gush when they broke it artificially. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Cuz yeah. that if you're losing a lot of that cushion, you're much more likely to to have a sudden escalation in that the sensations. Yeah, it was it was much bigger than I anticipated. I was like kind of shocked, honestly. <laughs> there goes that gradual buildup. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, so I think that 
is officially active labor for me. I don't, I, this is kind of where my memory gets a little fuzzy, which I think a lot of people say (laughs) when you go into active labor, you kind of stop. Time doesn't mean anything anymore. You're just kind of trying to get through the next contraction. So Um, true. Definitely the case for me. Rich might be able to shed some light more on this particular. That's what I was hoping as I was reviewing, I was reading the blog post, your birth story, and I was thinking, oh, hopefully Rich will be there and he can can see our brain for us. (laughs) I think so. Hey, baby. Sorry. We gave up on nap time. We get, we're, we're giving up on nap time. So <laughs> we want to sit at table, baby? Some days that's how it goes. Or do you want to stand in the kitchen? It doesn't matter. What's wanna, better? Uh, let's go to the kitchen. Okay. We'll go back to the kitchen. We were hoping you could shed some light on how the next few hours went because I don't have a lot of, I don't remember much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seemed, it seemed like it was pretty, everything that I was seeing and was being told made me feel as if things were going pretty well. And uh, I overheard Jess say that it, it seemed like the way Tia put it was there's there's real world time and there's active labor time and in active labor time, you're going to blink and six hours go by. And <laughs> that's as an observer and supporter, that's kind of what it felt like. It just, a contraction would come and Jess would, she was managing the contractions really well, which made me feel a little, you know, made me feel less worse about putting her through all that as, as the father of the child. But um, yeah, it made, it made me feel confident that things were going well. And then uh, at, at some yeah. point at like three or four in the morning, all hell sort of broke loose. Yeah. I do also remember a lot of like, I didn't really lay down or sit down or like do anything in labor, which can like, as you know, can be really good for progressing labor. Gravity is really helpful. And so But also what I didn't realize is that I wouldn't want to sit down or lay down or anything. Like whenever the doctor came in to do a cervical check was actually like getting onto the bed from standing up was like the hardest thing I think I've ever had to do in my whole life. Like I was just like, I was like, no, can I just stand please? Like, don't make me lay down. Don't make me sit down. Don't make me do anything. We did a lot of like, I was like hanging on wrist or like on the ball or on all fours, like a lot of that because it's just too uncomfortable to do anything else. Like when you feel all of that in your body, it's just like, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I think actually that was part of why we'll get to this later, why I like ended up just being so, so tired because I hadn't really sat down in like 12 hours or something, which was probably not like the best option either. You know, like I, I probably should have been more willing to like sit down and take a break when Tia or Rich said to, because I think it would have helped me feel less, what's the word I'm looking for, feel less just like done <laughs> by the time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There is this challenging need to balance activity with rest so that you're, yes, you're promoting progress, but you're also conserving energy so that you can have that energy. But it's hard when everything in your body is telling you stand up, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> and you just kind of have to go with that to a good extent. Yeah. Now, when did, I think I missed, when did Tia come to join you? Uh, she came, I guess it was shortly after we had checked into the hospital. So it was, I think right after I got the side attack. So she was there pretty early on. And, and I actually did. was surprised. I thought maybe she was going to come and then maybe leave for a while and come back. Yeah. Um, that's what a lot of doulas do. Yeah. And so she, but then she kind of like got comfortable and I was like, are you staying? And she was like, yeah, I'm staying. And it was a good thing that she did because that was like, we really needed her not not that long after. So 
Yeah. I was like, oh, good thing you didn't go home because you would have to come right back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh So yeah, she was there the whole time. So after they artificially ruptured your membranes and things really got intense, you said you were hanging on Rich and then you were on the ball and what other things? Yeah. Did you find yourself Um, doing? Yeah, it was definitely like, I mean, again, from what I can remember, (laughs) it was a lot of just like movement. And I think there's a lot of like sounds and things like groaning (coughs) and moaning. I kind of felt like a cow (laughs) a little bit. Like I felt like I was, you know, a cow in a pasture from what I founded. Like uh, Tia would help us by counting, which helped for a little while and then kind of like stopped helping towards the end because contractions started kind of coming on top of each other. And so then it was kind of like upsetting to feel like the correct contraction should be over, but it was actually just getting worse. <laughs> it's drawing atten- attention to it. It sounds right. like. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so definitely the counting was really helpful at the beginning for sure. Um, and then towards the end, it was kind of like, nope, counting doesn't matter anymore. Nope. No more counting. <laughs> Do you happen to remember? I'm just curious. Was it a certain pattern, like counting up to a certain number and then down or only up or only down or? Um, just up and down, like with the contraction, uh-huh. um, which I think was really, really helpful because then it kind of like, once I, I could identify when I reached the peak and then it was kind of like mentally, you can say, okay, I'm like, like the hard part is over. Like now it's just coming down. Mm-hmm. So that was really helpful. I just wanted to ask you, Rich, what was the dynamic between you and Tia, the doula? She was great in that she didn't, she took charge in that she told me what we were going to do to support Jess. But in most instances, she had me do the the thing. She didn't just kind of push me out of the way and say that it was her show. She, she, she was just kind of like, she, the way she put it when we met her was that she wanted to be our tour guide through uh, labor and delivery. And that's exactly what she was. And so she would show me, you know, once or twice what, what we were going to do. And then she got out of the way and coached me through supporting Jess, which I thought was great. Um, Cause I, I knew I didn't have any control over the situation, but being as involved as I was, was helpful because I, I, I knew I, I at least wasn't just sitting there and watching this happen. So um, being an active participant in it was great. And it was great that Tia was a believer in that and didn't just say, I'm the doula, I know better. I can get her through this, and get out of the way. So That's great. And that's such something I'm so glad you're pointing out because a lot of partners, if when there's resistance toward hiring a doula, like when a pregnant parent is interested in hiring one and the partner doesn't want to, sometimes it's because they're concerned they're going to be replaced or feel unnecessary or, you know, uh, dispensable. And it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it usually isn't that way. It shouldn't be. If you find the right fit for you with a doula, finding not just the right fit for the pregnant person, but for the partner too is so important to be sure that you all are going to have a really good working relationship. And it sounds like that in your prenatals, you guys probably just, I'm guessing, discussed that. And like, what did you guys want? And that she wanted to fit in like a puzzle piece where whatever that looked like for you, right? Yeah, I think I told Lisa this earlier, but maybe you can speak to it now that you're here is that like, it was within the first maybe like five minutes of talking to Tia that we were both just like, we both just looked at each other and we were like, this this is it, like, this is the person. Okay, we can... Like, we don't even need to talk to anyone else. We had two other interviews scheduled that we did do, but... We liked the people we had met. And then when we met Tia, we said, oh, this is... Yeah, we were like, oh no, this is it. (laughs) But at the same time, I could see how some people would prefer something else. You know, we wanted (laughs) someone who was 
was very thorough and detail oriented and over researched and because that's what that's what we were <laughs> to sort of match that and also give us checks every now and again when we thought we knew something and it actually was either incomplete or wrong but I could you know I I, I think the, the interview process was really important because like you said I I don't think we really understood how important it was for us to you know uh, have make sure that I was a participant and wasn't getting pushed out of the way and if if that's what a partner wants I don't think there's anything wrong with that that's just not what we wanted mm-hmm. so um, yeah it was I, I would encourage partners to if, if that's a concern to one acknowledge it because it's okay and two if that is you know once you acknowledge it it's okay to ask that during the interview I mean Jess was really great in understanding that the interview process was not well I mean it was like 95% for you and <laughs> There was like five percent where she wanted to make sure that I felt comfortable with whoever we <laughs> went with. More than five percent, five to fifteen per, somewhere in that range. I, I mean, in my head, it was, I was like a secondary concern. But uh, yeah, Jess was really great, and you know, she would check in and say, "Oh, do you feel good about this one? How? Do, what are your concerns?" Yeah. So if you know, either way, for partners, be as involved or not as you want, beginning with the interview process. If you're considering a doula. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, can the communication for the couple first of figuring out what's what does each of you want, what does that look like, and hopefully they're compatible, <laughs> and then seeking out a doula who will support exactly what those preferences are. Yeah. Okay. Well, where do you want to go from here? So I guess I don't know how many hours had passed at this point. I would say it had been once they broke your water. Um, I'm guessing. I think it was five to six hours of labor after that it was about three or four in the morning when yeah um when tia actually thought we were in transition yeah i had um so you had mentioned this in your course so we were like prepared that like vomiting during labor was very normal and so i like knew that would probably happen i wasn't prepared for like how much i would vomit during like it was like towards the it started to be like almost every contraction and then the nurse was like starting to be like, I think I'm gonna have to hook her up to fluids because she was worried I was gonna dehydrate it. And so like, it was just like this whole thing where I was like very like, I couldn't stop, but yeah. I, but it was like upsetting how often it was happening. Um, like the nurse would like take the bucket away and then I would be like, no, bring it back. <laughs> Don't take it away. It's not, I'm not done yet. Uh, yeah. At one point we tried <laughs> to replenish some of the calories with a, uh, one of my uh, energy gels from uh, a marathon I had just run. So we, we had a few of those in our bag and she couldn't even keep one of those down. So we were, things got intense pretty f- quickly. And yeah. at one point it was probably three thirty or four in the morning when Tia. But I was, I was feeling the urge to bear down really strongly and I was shivering a lot and I had been vomiting. And so Tia was like, okay, I think you might be in transition. Like I'm going to call the nurse in, like, let's figure out what's yeah, going it on. Sounding consistent with what we've learned in your class too. So we it does just, sound like transition. Yeah. And so uh, the doctor came in and did a check and I was six centimeters dilated. Oh. And that was like very deflating. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so I was like, oh, and I tried, like, I, like, you know, I kept trying to think in my head, like, I know that, you know, six centimeters, it's, it's all an estimate and, you know, it's just a snapshot. Like, you know, it's not consistent. Like, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be in labor for another like six hours before I'm eight centimeters dilated, you know, like all those things are true, but like in the moment, I just remember feeling so like all that, like I, like I felt like I 
had put really like all of my energy and I was only six centimeters dilated and I couldn't imagine how I was going to get to 10. <laughs> sure. Was there anybody saying, looking at the position of the baby? Um, they were. They had checked it right when we checked into the hospital. Yeah, that was never really a concern. Yeah. He was... They, cause they, we, cause we had gone in for, uh, prenatal checks like every day, almost leading up to the induction. Mm -hmm. Um, the baby had been in position that whole time. I think. And well, when you say that, do you mean head down or do you just head down or or actually with the back out? On the left side a little bit. Oh yeah. So with the back out. Yep. Yeah. With the back out. So So ideal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, so that's what we wanted. And like, I don't think that changed the whole time we were in labor. At least if it did, I didn't, no one noticed that it changed. Yeah. Yeah, The only reason I'm bringing that up is sometimes the premature urge to push and like signs that it seems like you're going into pushing can be a sign of a baby being back with the back to mom's back posterior. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, Oh, maybe I wonder if that's what was going on. Yeah, it was not. I actually, I did another uh, resource that you say in your class, but like I had also um, researched before with the spinning babies um, exercises and classes, which was Mm -hmm. like amazing. And I'm, like, we were really lucky we didn't have an issue with baby's positioning. Like, there was not a lot of pressure to, like, try to get baby to turn using any of those exercises. But I was, like, I did them kind of, like, from, like, 20 weeks on. I was, like, very regimented about doing those exercises <laughs> because I'm over-prepared and over-researched. So. <laughs> you never know how that could have helped, you know? Right. Exactly. Like, maybe it, that's why it was good. Maybe it didn't matter at all. We'll never know. Um, who knows? <laughs> But yeah, so they checked and I was six centimeters and I think like, I was feeling so, so tired at that point. I just remember getting sent down in maybe 12 hours and I had thrown up so much and I couldn't keep liquids down. I was shivering and I just felt like that was kind of the point where I was like, you know what? I was like, I think it's okay for me to get an epidural now. Like this is the point where I feel confident that I did what I think I could do. And now I feel like I need some help to be able to do it. Tia was concerned that I couldn't, because we kept trying to go after that. And I remember like, she kept coaching me and she was like, don't bear down, don't bear down. And I like physically could not stop the urge to bear down. And so she was concerned that we were going to cause the cervix to be inflamed. And then that, you know, is a whole other set of problems. And so Mm -hmm. she was like, she's like, I do have concerns. She's like, if you can't stop bearing down, she's like, this is going to be a problem. And, you know, Rich was like very supportive and he was like, if you need to tap out, he's like, you should tap out. Like if this is your decision and to Rich's credit and Tia, they were both like, it's totally up to you. They're like, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. They're like, but you know, you know what the risk is like you decide. And I like, I remember telling Rich, like I wanted epidural and he goes, are you sure? Because I was very adamant that I did not want one previously. He goes, are you sure? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> uh, you actually said, get the doctor in here this instant. <laughs> we still weren't sure because leading up to the birth, Tia suggested having a safe word that yes. just used to, to tap out and just didn't even want that as an option. Because she was so adamant on doing this naturally that she said, no, I don't even want to have that in the back of my mind. So I don't want a safe word. So for, for a couple of minutes, T and I kind of looked at each other and said, is she sure? Or, what do we do? What do we do? Oh. Well, we're not hundred percent sure. And then Tia and I kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, let's go. Let's go get the anesthesiologist who, as it turned out, was in the middle of uh, surgery. So there was another woman having a, an experience. And so, of course, I wasn't going to get angry or annoyed with what I had a feeling was happening, but I didn't know how to go back into the room and tell Jess she had to wait a few minutes. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because she'll be like, no. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of grabbed Tia and said, hey, uh, the anesthesiologists are tied up right now. And Tia knew what was going on. So we both agreed to maybe just not tell Jess um, for a minute. They didn't. They didn't tell me. That was a really good call. Yeah. yeah. They were like, he's on his way. He's, they're coming. And I was like, okay. Meanwhile, like, I'm going to focus on getting through this contraction. So it didn't actually feel like that long to me because... Oh, good. I didn't know what yeah. was going on. That was such a good call, Rich. Uh, yeah. Way to go. Another, another hat tip to you there on that one. Because I might have been like, oh my gosh, they're in surgery. You're going to have to wait. Because that's how I am. <laughs> just she's overly like, prepared. I'm overly honest sometimes. So, <laughs> so Tia's like, restrain yourself. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's a, that's a funny transition into the epidural itself because as... Jess has been alluded. She doesn't remember doing this. Sorry, we're our little guy's tearing up our kitchen right now. He's uh, <laughs> just giving some pots and some utensils and a box, yeah, and he'll be fine. Him, which is not great for this week. But, um, <laughs> you, you tell the story. Yeah, so Jess doesn't remember this. I guess because she was in the middle of of labor, and I don't blame her. But she was so well educated. I think thanks to your class and our experience with Tia that. Uh, when the anesthesiologist was kind of reading the the waiver, they or whatever they read to you before before they they do the procedure, Jess stopped, you know, interrupted the doctor and said, "Could you please just do it? Because if you miss and it doesn't go in correctly, I'm this percent more likely for this thing to happen, and then I'm this percent more likely for a C-section, and so I need you to get it right the first time." <laughs> so the doctor had to reassure her that you know I've been a I've been an anesthesiologist for 25 years and. I'm very confident we're going to get this right the first time. And of course they did, but Tia and I, or Tia even looked at me and gave me this look like, how did she know that? And how did she, how was she in that headspace in that moment? Like with all of the hormones of labor clouding your, (laughs) I don't know. That's impressive. Yeah. We, we don't know because Jess doesn't remember it. And um, (laughs) so we'll never know, I guess, what or how she got into the headspace of educating everyone in the room, except for maybe the doctors on the risk of getting the, the epidural wrong. Um, <laughs> I got it right. And, uh, everything after that was great. But that's one of my lasting memories of the whole experience was just spitting out two or three facts. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget that. It worked. He got it right on the first <laughs> He did. So. Rich, were you in the room for the administration <laughs> of it? I you was. were. Did Tia leave? She stepped out. The doctor actually suggested that I stay so Jess could focus on me while they, they stuck the needle in, which I think was helpful. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I was like, I was very nervous because I was at the point where I, I wasn't sure that I could be still. I, I think oh, most women probably feel that I way. I think that's where the... Um, when getting an epidural, but I was definitely very like uh, nervous that that was, that they could possibly miss because I was moving. <laughs> <laughs> but also part of the reason, like the other thing about getting an epidural that I was like very concerned about going in was that it could prolong pushing. And so we'll get into that later, but like, that was definitely part of the reason why I was very anti epidurals that I didn't want to be pushing for three hours. Mm-hmm. Sure. And do either of you remember anything about the step-by-step administration of it? Anything to note? Faster than I thought um, it would be. It was pretty fast. Well, because they, so it, with the induction at least, and I, I mean, they probably do this in triage with other births. I'm not totally sure, obviously, but they have you like sign everything ahead of time. And so 
you've already signed everything. They just kind of come in and give you like a really quick like recap basically of what they're going to do. And then they tell you to be still. <laughs> and were you sitting on the edge of the bed, curling into a sea or lying down on your side? Uh, uh, sitting. Sitting. Sitting, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I just remember, I think we, we learned so much about it that it, it struck me that it was so fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It didn't think, like, I didn't think it would be that fast and it was. So that was great. Um, nice. It also took a while to have an effect, I felt like. Um, mm. I calmed you down. I mean, I, yeah, I was calmed down, but I didn't feel like, physically, I didn't feel relief for like a while. <laughs> hmm. um, for what felt like a while. Um, it was about a half hour. It was probably like a half hour before. Oh, wow. Felt, like anything. That um, makes me wonder if they didn't do the combination spinal epidural or what exactly, because usually if it, when they inject a little bit of low dose narcotic into the spinal space, that gives pretty quick partial relief at least. Yeah. Oh but, yeah. I remember this. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think I definitely like the weird thing was that I felt a lot of, like, I still felt my contractions and I felt like, I kind of felt everything kind of like in the back of my legs and like, just kind of like my entire like lower part of my body would feel the contraction in a way that I hadn't before. So it also might've, mm-hmm. maybe it was like a muscular like thing. Mm-hmm. The nurse at that point, who was the nurse that I didn't like, I had asked her because I was like, I don't know if it's normal to be feeling this in my legs, the way I'm feeling it. And she was like, Oh, she was like, well, you were bouncing on that ball for a long time. It was probably that. And so I was like, okay, we're done here. I'm not <laughs> Thanks for blaming me for yeah, what I'm um, feeling. I feel dumb for using a coping mechanism during birth. I don't think that's what it was, obviously, but I was not pleased that she had said that. And there was a point later when I was pushing that she kind of like, I don't think she read my birth plan before she came in because she wasn't the nurse that we checked in with. And so I think that she didn't read it or just forgot it because she has a million patients, which is understandable. But she was like, I made it very clear that I wanted everything to be very calm. I didn't want any yelling or coaching or like, I just wanted to be like very calm atmosphere. And she was very much like, do it, do it now, push now. And I was just like, I looked at Tia at that point and I remember just like giving her this look. And I think Tia was said something to the effect of like, okay, we're going to keep everything calm here and like be quiet, let her focus. So that was really, that was a great thing. How did the nurse take that? Well, she stopped, so I guess it was fine. I didn't like, I wasn't looking at her face, so I don't know if sure. she did or something, but um, she did stop, so that was nice. <laughs> Good. Objective <laughs> achieved. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, after the epidural, and I started to feel some relief. Tia was like, you need to try to sleep if you can. She's like, lay down, try to rest, you need to rest. And I was like, done. I'm, that sounds great. I will do it. She, we had a, like a peanut yoga ball thing available in the room. Um, and so I would lie on my side with the ball, the peanut between my legs to kind of like help open everything up. And then Tia would basically just kind of like come over and like help me turn to the other side every like half hour. So I just kind of rotated. Um, so I was like kind of sleeping, kind of resting, like, but moving at the same time. Um, which was good. Um, I, I do actually feel like I got some rest, which was nice. I think Rich actually also got to take a nap, which was good for him because he had been up uh, that whole night. I got to attempt to take a nap. He got to attempt to take a nap. I don't think he like slept really well, but he at least got to lie He's down. He's still for very anxious about everything. Yeah. So we all got to like lie down and, and take a breath for a few hours. I'm just curious, Rich, uh, do you have any, was it because it was uncomfortable or? I was just wound up and I was feeling anxious and guilty and just couldn't I couldn't wind down so kind of just lie there and I might have passed out for 20 minutes but 
I didn't really sleep. Wait, you just said you f- you were feeling guilty? Is that what yeah, I Yeah, I just like at the point, you know, I, I was uh I was like, wow, I can't believe I can't believe I did this to her. Look at look at this. <laughs> I'm guilty for the whole thing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's sweet. <laughs> I was like guilty. I couldn't figure out what I thought I thought it was maybe a more specific <laughs> No, no. Guilt. In general. In general. General guilt. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry uh, you couldn't sleep. No, that's all right. I think I woke up around like, I don't know. I don't know what time it was. A few hours later, I like woke up. I wasn't really sleeping, but I was like, I do remember pretending like I was sleeping when the doctor would come in so that she wouldn't check me. That is a fantastic strategy. Um, because I like didn't, I, I was like, I was like, I know I have an epidural now, but like, I don't want to deal with it. I'm tired. I just want to rest. And so I remember her coming in and I like heard her. And so I just like shut my eyes and like pretended to be asleep. And then she was like, oh, okay, I'll let her rest. And I was like, yes, like it worked. Um, and she left. So um, so that was nice. She didn't like wake me up or anything. I think most doctors won't wake you up. So that's a strategy. If you like really don't want a cervical exam, pretend to be sleeping. That apparently works. But yeah, so I, I eventually like woke up officially. Like I was feeling like, okay, I'm feeling better. I'm going to sit up. I really, really wanted to get on bed. But at that point, obviously couldn't because of the epidural. So that was definitely a bummer. I woke up and I was starving. Because like I had mentioned, I had uh, thrown up a lot before. I had actually eaten in labor, but unfortunately didn't really matter. <laughs> so I woke up and I looked at Rich and I was like, I want a bagel. Like right now, all I want is a bagel. And he was like, are you sure you can have a bagel right now? And I was like, just give me a bagel, please. I need a bagel. I was like, don't put any cream cheese on it. Like I just want bread. Like give me bread. I like needed carbs. So he ran across the street to get bagels. And I had a bagel that I hid from the nurse when she would come in. I would like hide it under my sheet. <laughs> but I ate a bagel and it was amazing. <laughs> I, was, I, I can't even describe how hungry I was when I woke up. Like I was just like, I woke up and I was like, all I want is a bagel. Like that's nothing else will satisfy me. Especially uh, when you had emptied yourself of any nourishment. Yeah, know? there was like nothing. There was yeah. nothing. So I was like, you know, like I had, I still had some drinks and like some stuff. And I was just like, I was like, bring me like whatever we have left in the food bag. Like I need to eat it all. Um, so I ate, which was great and kind of like rested for a little bit. And the doctor came back in, she checked me and she was like, are you ready to push? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> like unexpectedly. So, and the funny thing was that, you know, and you talked about this in your class a lot where it was like, a lot of times the doctors will like be there for the beginning of pushing and then they leave for a while and the nurse will be there and then they come back, especially with first time moms. It usually takes you a while. This time she checked me and then, you know, she kind of like went to the other side of the room. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to be pushing for a while. And I was kind of prepared for that with the epidural. I was like, okay, understandable. Like when you have an epidural, you tend to push for longer than when you don't have an epidural. So I was like mentally prepared for that. I was like, okay, it's going to take a little bit longer. That's fine. I started pushing and then I see her like come right back. She had just like washed up and like put on like scrubs. And I was like, oh, she's not leaving. I was like, so either I'm actually like in a much better place than I, than I thought I was, or she like doesn't have any other patients <laughs> to go see or something. Turns out I was like, he was like already at like a plus three at that point. And so he was already like well on his way out, which was great. I pushed for 30 minutes and he popped out which was great. So it was like, I was like very surprised. So it was just kind of, I think like, again, you know, you can plan for so much and there's so much you can't plan for. Like, so I was just kind of shocked at that point because I still hadn't had any Pitocin. 
the whole time. Like they broke my water and active labor started. So I didn't need it. Um, so I had no Pitocin and I only pushed for 30 minutes with an epidural. So I felt like even with what I thought was going to happen with an induction, like none of that happened. So I was like, okay. Yeah. You defeated the odds. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. So he was born at like 11 AM or something like that. And it was really great. There were no complications. He came out. He, so he was officially born at 42 weeks. We got in 41 weeks, six days. He was born the next day. And do you remember, did you ever feel the urge to push? When I had that epidural, no. Yeah. No, I would say like I had, um, I had to really tune into my body to know when the contraction was happening at that point. I'd gotten a tip from a friend who had had an induction like a couple weeks before not to keep pushing your epidural thing that they give you, or you can just keep re-upping it. So once I had woken up that morning, I didn't use it. Cause I was like, okay, I don't want to, like, I want to make sure that I'm not pumping my body full of more stuff right now. Like I just want to try mm-hmm. to be, you know, less so so I can try to feel something. And I was able to like feel something, but I do feel like that is largely because of just like muscular awareness from being a dancer for so long. And mm-hmm. also the amount of prenatal yoga that I did where we like practiced a lot of um, those things. So yeah, so I was able to, and the other thing too, with the wireless monitor coming back to that as well, for some reason, and so maybe it's true that they don't work as well as the other monitors, but the doctor wasn't seeing the contractions when I was feeling them. So they were like, oh, you want to push now? And I was like, I don't want to push now. And then like 10 seconds later, I'd be like, now I want to push and I would push. And so there might've been some kind of like weird delay or something going Mm -hmm. on with the wireless monitor. I'm not sure. So maybe that's why they don't prefer them possibly. But when I was feeling contraction, that's not what was showing up on the screen. So I had to very much like just kind of tune into myself and like push when I wanted to push and I didn't let them tell me when to push. But it was definitely much, much harder with the epidural because you have to think really hard about like what, when your contraction is actually happening. but I was able to, so that was really great. So it wasn't too much pushing. Do you have anything from pushing that you like remember? Not really, it was just really fast. Yeah. It was faster than we both thought it would even remotely be. Yeah. I do remember at one point the doctor asked if I wanted to see the top of the baby's head and I said, what? Are you, we've been doing this for, this is only like the second round of pushing. His little head was sticking out and I remember thinking, oh wow, he's got a lot of hair, or the baby's got a lot of hair because we didn't know gender at that point and the doctor said it's it's not a lot of hair uh, <laughs> the doctor was like that's not very much hair so rich were you did you touch the baby's head when he was crowning i, I didn't touch it i just kind of just looked uh-huh and, or did jess uh sh- i don't remember i don't think she will mm-hmm. well so rich when he came out when he was born what were you thinking or feeling or doing um i had a hard time believing he was real I think because we had done so much preparation and taken your course and knew about the process, I forgot at the end of it that there'd be a baby. I thought I'd cry going into it. And then when he came out, I was just kind of in shock. They were really good about skin to skin right away. So I saw him kind of just wailing on her chest and I was thinking, whoa, this is a real person that we're about to bring home. And that's that's all that I could conjure up in the moment. I, I didn't get emotional or... I was happy, but I, I just, I wasn't like any of the men in the video you showed us that were instantly in tears. I just kind of was like, whoa, look at that. <laughs> yeah, sure. There's so many healthy reactions. There's no right way to react. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Rich, did they hand you the scissors to cut the cord at some point? <coughs> and you did it, or did you I say did. no thanks? Yeah, that was part of our birth plan. Okay. Yeah. He also um, got to announce the gender. Oh, nice. Yeah, we didn't know going in, so it was kind of like a big surprise. And so when he came out, um, Rich was able to be like, it's a boy. And I was like, oh my God, it's a boy. Like, you know, I would have been surprised either way. I think I would have had the same reaction regardless of the gender, but I was like, it's a boy. Um, <laughs> we were actually rooting for a girl because everyone that, just even strangers would, would tell us, oh, the way she's carrying, it looks like a boy. And we kind of just wanted all the people to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but they were all right, they apparently. All, all right. the strangers on the subway were correct. How funny. Uh, which is weird. Um, oh. So yeah, um, and we did skin to skin immediately. I remember that was great, but also I didn't really get to see his face. So when they like put him on my chest, I was kind of like, you know, hysterical but also like I was like what does he look like like I don't know I can't see him <laughs> like what does this child look like <laughs> um so I think I like at one point I kept telling which I was like I was like I was like show him to me like let me see him because I like didn't feel like I could like pick him up for some reason I mean I could have I just like was overwhelmed I think and didn't like realize I could just like pick him up off my chest but yeah so I was like what does he look like um and also very immediately all the nurses are like what's his name and I was like, we don't have a name yet because we didn't know he was a boy until just now. So <laughs> we do not have a name. So that was like a funny thing that I felt like for the first thing for them to be asking you was like, what's the name? I was that like, I feel funny. unprepared for the first time ever in this process <laughs> because I do not have a name to tell you. And how long was it before you came up with his name? Um, I think it was like a couple hours, actually. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say, you know, a day or two. or <laughs> Yeah, or Rich, Rich says it was less than that. Maybe it was like an hour, because we had like names, obviously, in mind, but we wanted to like see mm-hmm. the baby sure. and like, you know, before yeah. we decided on names. So I think it was like an hour or something after, because I didn't want to like tell people, my thing was I didn't want to text people and like tell them that the baby was here, but not have a name to tell them, because then that would be the next question is like, what's the name? So I wanted to like have the name decided before people started asking. Mm-hmm. Sure. This is a question for both of you. Did you feel, at what point in time did you start to feel like this is my baby? Was it in pregnancy? Was it like the moment of meeting him? Was it like days or weeks or months later? Or was it a gradual thing? I don't know. I think it was like, for me at least, it was like as soon as I was pregnant, like I was like immediately like, just bonded, I guess. I don't know. I, I that sounds like silly, but no, I, know, I, I don't feel like I had that moment because like by the time he was like born, I already felt like he was like real, like he was mine. So I didn't mm-hmm. like have another, you know, moment where I was like, this is my child. Um, mm-hmm. I think I was like very immediately like try to take this child away from me and I will murder all of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it wasn't that fast for me. I, I probably that night after he was born, when I we were in a shared recovery room, and I decided both babies were screaming, and neither mothers wanted to send them to the nursery. So I decided I decided I was going to take him for a walk around the around the hall, um, so Jess could at least try to get some sleep and. I was out there for two hours and I forgot my shoes. <laughs> and uh, we ended up walking by my math about two miles because 
they had a sign up in the wing that said every lap around the hall was about 0.1 miles. So I counted the laps and looked down at the baby and said, hey, bud, we just went on a two-mile walk. And that's kind of when it felt real to me. Oh, I love that story. That's really sweet. And at NYU, partners can stay overnight, right? Even in a shared room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, yeah uh, it was um it was interesting it was an interesting experience like i mean having a shared room is like a reality for i think most people in the city so we knew that was going to be hard and we had asked for the private room but we didn't get one yeah i think like the couple that we were rooming with they were like super like, such nice lovely people it was their second baby so they were a little more familiar with the whole process and um the husband came later and he snored all night. Like he slept through both babies screaming and he was snoring. And I was like, okay, so we have two babies screaming and one guy snoring. And like, how am I supposed to get any sleep? So I remember being like very frustrated by that. I was like, if you're just going to come here and sleep, like you should have just stayed home. <laughs> like if you're going to stay Especially over. Especially if you snore. <laughs> right. All partners should know if you're going to stay overnight, like you should be there to help. <laughs> yeah. Which seems like a given, but I guess it's not. So we actually only stayed one night in the hospital. We had to stay 24 hours. And he was since he was born at 11 a.m., uh, we didn't have to stay a second night. And since we didn't have a private room, I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. And they were, like, more than happy to get rid of us because they needed the room. So they were like, okay, we'll get you out of here today. So we left at, like, 4 or 5 p.m. the next day. We were out of there. And I think I didn't quite grasp... How many hours total was your? Um, it was birth? about 20, right? Yeah. Yeah. 20. Okay. From beginning to end. Like, but it didn't feel, I mean, which for an induction, as you know, is like fairly short. And the active labor part, I think was about six hours or something. So it really didn't feel that long to me. Mm-hmm. It kind of felt like you like went in, like we were there overnight basically and had the baby. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the fact that you were so well-educated going into it, so informed, probably helped you just set up your expectations. Because a lot of people, if they didn't realize how long inductions can take, might feel like it felt like a lot longer than it would otherwise if you just realized, oh, okay, this is going to take a while. Absolutely. I think for me, even like before knowing I was going to be induced, I kind of like had 24 hours in my head because I was like, I think I can do anything for like a day. So I was like, if, you know, if it goes past 24 hours, I think that'll be hard. But if I can keep it to 24 hours and under, I will feel like this is like an achievable thing. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share about early postpartum breastfeeding, anything on along those lines? Yeah, I definitely will. I think (laughs) what? No, Rich is, Rich is laughing at me. No, it was an adventure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a hard few weeks for sure. I think like we actually talked about this earlier in our call, like the one thing that was on your list of things to buy that I bought and I think was like the best purchase I made (laughs) was the Camelback water puddle. (laughs) Um, Uh Having like the straw. So I used it like throughout labor and then like used it throughout breastfeeding and I'm still using it today as we discovered on our call, like we're holding the same water bottle. Same Um, color too. Same color and everything. We're (laughs) twins. But yeah, that's just, that was just so important in labor, but also in like with breastfeeding to like stay hydrated and you're so thirsty and so hungry for like weeks after you have a baby. I think I like, I knew that and I just didn't really understand how hungry I would be. (laughs) And so having like 
I literally had like two water bottles on either side of my nursing chair that I was using that were just refilled like constantly. So that was like having the Camelback was definitely like a key. Like I will get that for any future pregnant friend as a gift. I'll be like, this is kind of a weird gift, but trust me, you're going to use it. Mm-hmm. I think like postpartum, I mean, I was like, I feel very lucky. I had a very, all things considered very straightforward birth. I had a few stitches, nothing too crazy. I mean, I'm, I still felt like I had been in a car wreck, but generally like very lucky coming out of birth. I definitely like that first week had baby blues, some serious baby blues. Like I just like cried a lot. Hormones were like very, very hard to deal with. And like I mentally, again, it's just different when you experience it. Like I knew that this was a possibility. I knew that it was likely to feel that way, but I definitely didn't anticipate how hard it would be to like live through it. So I was really lucky, like my parents were both here for a week after he was born. So they were here a lot Uh, and they were like up with the baby in the middle of the night and up with me in the middle of the night. So like that was all very lucky. So in addition to having Rich, who was almost as tired as I was because he hadn't slept either, it was nice to have additional support outside of your partner. So that was definitely important. Just like my mom came and like made a ton of food, which was amazing. Um, our church was really supportive and they like brought us, um, a meal train. So we had, um, meals for weeks and weeks afterwards, which was really really amazing. I love to hear that. Yeah. It was like, it's such a blessing. Um, and like also really great to like live in New York and be in like a diverse neighborhood because we also just had like really great, like ethnic food. Like people would bring us like, oh, there's this like Peruvian chicken stew that like, you know, is like traditional after birth or like this thing or that thing. And I was like, wow, we have such amazing like friends and just amazing people that are like around us to support us who also are just good cooks apparently. So like that was really key. So like the food, I think like breastfeeding was actually a very difficult journey for us. It was, it started out pretty well. We did skin to skin. He latched right after birth. We breastfed in the hospital. We roomed in. We did all the things that they tell you to do to promote breastfeeding. It seemed to be going okay. We were eating every two hours. Um, I think it was like, uh, he was almost two weeks old where it got to the point where I was in so much pain and I like couldn't figure out why. And at that point, like our doula had come by and she was a certified lactation consultant. So she had like helped me with the latch a few days before. We just like weren't getting it. And I couldn't really figure out why. And I w- it got to the point where I was just like sobbing. Like every time I had to feed him, I was just like crying. Like I just didn't know what to do. Rich, I sent Rich on like a wild goose chase to like every Dwayne Reed in Queens to find nipple shields. I think he was at Dwayne Reed at like four in the morning at some point. So it was just very, um, it was very, very difficult. I had texted my doula at that point and she was like, you know what? She was like, you need, she's like, you need someone more than me. She's like, you need to find like an IBCLC. And so she had sent us some recommendations and we booked a home visit that day. We had a lactation kids only come by our apartment like 12 hours after we got on the website. It was like a 9 p.m. visit, which is like crazy. But like when you have a newborn, it doesn't matter what time it is because you're up all the time anyway. So that was really great. She came by. She was here for probably like three hours or something, just like helping us like through several different feeds to like diagnose the problem. We were lucky. There was no like tongue tie or anything like that he just wasn't latching well. And I like, didn't know how to help him. And so it definitely took some practice after that too. Like we took a lot of 
videos while she was here so that I could like look back and remember like what she was doing to help him latch the right way. That's such a good idea that I haven't heard anybody mention before. She actually recommended that to us. And so Rich was taking videos while she was helping me get him to latch. Um, and we like would watch those a lot. So that was really, really, really helpful. It also turned out like when she got here, thank God she got here when she did. I was feeling like, like I was a little like engorged and I wasn't really sure. And she was like, you know what? She was like, this is mastitis. And I just like, didn't even know what to do. And I felt a little bit like a failure because I knew it was really common, but I also was like, how do I already have mastitis? Like he's been here for 10 days. Like this is crazy. So I definitely remember feeling like upset, but also then like meeting a lot of other moms who had the same experience. So it's so much more common than I think people realize. And I think I was very lucky that the lactation consultant was here to like diagnose me pretty early on. So it didn't get too, too bad. I was able to call my OB and they uh, sent a prescription over. I didn't have to go in to see anyone, which was another blessing. Cause like, yeah, going somewhere 10 days postpartum is like the worst in the whole world. So they just sent over prescription to our pharmacy and I started out antibiotics immediately. So we luckily like got through, we got through the mastitis pretty easily for the most part, you know, easier than I think some have. And he started feeding better. So that also obviously like helped um, relieve a lot of pain. So I think that breastfeeding has been a journey. We're still breastfeeding. He's weaned a little bit, which is nice for me. (laughs) Going back to work and pumping was like also another hurdle that I did not anticipate being quite so hard. Um, and I think a lot of working moms have that experience where you go back to work and, and I actually have a really supportive work environment. Like I have really great bosses. I had a place to pump. Um, I had a place to store my milk that wasn't the general fridge. I had like my own little like fridge, which, so those are all like really great things. And it was still hard. So like, so for women who don't even have that support, I can't even imagine what that is like. But it's definitely been a journey and I'm glad we were able to do it. It's also, it's a lot more work than you anticipate. (laughs) Isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And regarding the pumping, somebody recently told me when I was done pumping, I just wanted to throw my pump out the window. (laughs) Never see it again. (laughs) Yes, I, I stopped pumping at work. So I'm not pumping at work anymore. And I left my pump at my desk because I don't even want to bring it to my house anymore. I'm like, I don't want to see it ever again. I just want to pretend like it's not there. Yes. I'm under my desk. Like, I'm like, I'm done. Who like, I've never met anybody who enjoys pumping. It's just sort of a necessity if you want your kid to continue getting breast milk and you need to be away from them. Yeah. 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 And how long did you take off for? Um, I had, oh, I, I had 16 weeks. Oh, wow. Nice. It's a lot. And um, it's not normal. I'm very, very lucky. Uh, It should be. We should have much longer than even that. But but for for US, that's really a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's very generous. Like I said, I have a very supportive work environment and supportive bosses. So I was very, very lucky to be able to like transition. We actually, Rich and I staggered our leaves. So we were both home for a few weeks and then he went back to work and then I went back to work. So if you can do it, if you can as a, as a mom, if you can go back to work and have your partner take time off at that point, if that's a possibility, I would recommend it. Cause I think it made going back to work so much easier because I felt so like relieved and confident in the caretaker that my child was having. Yeah, uh, Obviously like nannies and daycares are also great, but I think like 
had knowing that he was with his father was like, okay, I can go to work. I can focus on what I need to focus on. I don't yeah. need to worry about how my child is adjusting to like a new caretaker. Oh yeah. Cause that's his own piece of anxiety Yeah, for most people yeah. because usually it's somebody new <laughs> unless it's a family member. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's great wisdom. <clears throat> Thanks. And did either of you take advantage of the New York paid family leave or did you have an employer that already gave you? We had an leave? employer who gave us time Both off. Both of you. We didn't have to. So great. Nice. It's very nice. We are very lucky. <clears throat> yeah. Well, anything else you'd like to share? Any reflections on this whole journey, the first year of your baby's life of just any tips or wisdom, insights for expectant or new parents? I think like, oh, I have one more resource I want to, can you find me that, the book that's on top of the thing over there? I have one more resource to share in a minute. Please, um, great. That's great. I personally like might be obvious from like listening to me talk about all of this, but I, I think it's really, really important to be educated. Even if you, you don't need to research quite as much as I did, I don't think, (laughs) but just like attending birth class is really, really important. I don't know how people do it without birth class. I really don't like after having gone through it because they don't really explain anything to you at the hospital. So I think like going to your birth class, having a doula, feeling like I was making choices about my birth versus being told what to do in my birth, I think made a big difference. So even though it went very differently from what I anticipated and I ended up getting an epidural, which I like swore I was never going to do, I feel good about it because I know it was my choice and I felt like, or I still feel like I made those decisions based on the knowledge that I had. And so I feel good about those decisions that I made instead of um, like they were last resorts or something like that. Mm -hmm. So just like being educated, um, hiring a doula, I think if I did it again, I would like maybe have a lactation consultant like already on call (laughs) instead of to like find someone last minute Mm -hmm. because that was unexpected. I definitely felt like I thought I knew what I was doing because we had like gone over things in the hospital and other stuff and, but it really wasn't until like that two week mark that breastfeeding suddenly got like much harder for some reason, which was strange. Mm -hmm. And that's so common. And I feel like where hospitals really need to improve is that anticipatory guidance of just saying, okay, in the next, you know, week or two, here are the things that are going to happen. And here are some troubleshooting strategies because almost everybody experiences that. It's like easy or easy-ish, not for everybody, but, but that's the tendency in the hospital just for, you know, until your milk comes in and then the milk comes in and whoa, everything changes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. It's just like, it's so amazing though, too. Like it was just funny, like going from two weeks in breastfeeding, feeling like I wasn't doing anything right. And like things were bad. And like, I, like physically I felt bad. Like I was still healing from birth. And then like I had mastitis and I just remember feeling like my body could not be like in a worse place at that point. But then like fast forward, like literally like three weeks from that point, like when he was like five or six weeks old. And like, I remember like having coffee with one of my friends and being like, I want another baby. And she was like, are you kidding me? You just had one. And I was like, I know, but they're so amazing. And this experience has just been amazing. Like, I just want to do it again. <laughs> and, um, yeah. She thought I was crazy. Rich still thinks I'm crazy. Um, but yeah, just like having that like immediate, like all of that was hard, but like 100% worth it. Like I wouldn't change a thing. Like it's completely worth it to have him around. Mm. I did want to ask real quick, you were talking about the baby blues and how challenging that was. It sounded like it did not develop into 
clinical depression or other perinatal mood and anxiety disorders? And do you think that there was anything that contributed to it not getting worse? Honestly, just like having, having a support system, like having my parents here for sure. Like I said, like Rich is amazing, obviously. And he was here the whole time too. (laughs) And he was here the whole time. But also I think having my parents here, having people that were like making us food and just like making sure that like I could shower and, and also just people like talking, having conversations that don't revolve around the baby and like realizing that like there are other things going on and like other people's lives keep moving, even though you just had a baby, because I think it can feel very isolating and feel like your whole life has just changed, but like no one else's has. So it's kind of good to like get out and realize everything else is still happening and like your life will go back to quote unquote normal. It won't ever go back to like normal before, but it'll go back to more normal. Mm-hmm. So, new normal. Yeah. New normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like kind of the theme of like the first year too. It's just that everything is different every few weeks or few months and it's going to go back. It's going to get more and more normal because you're just going to adjust to it. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I think like having my parents here for sure, like having my mom here, like making like my favorite foods. So things like that, that just like, I think made me feel like, like I can get through this. Uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, I was lucky that it, what, you know, ended up just being something that I dealt with for <laughs> something I dealt with for like a week versus, you know, a month or more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Two other things. I know you wanted to show a book and then I wanted to ask Rich the same question of if he had any tips or wisdom reflections on the perspective of a father supporting you through the process and into parenthood and all that. Absolutely. Hey, babe. Okay, we'll come back. Oh. When I have a second. Um, I'll share this book well. So this book is called The First 40 Days. I think maybe you recommended it in, I can't remember. I yeah, I do. I couldn't rem- remember if I was recommending it back when you came to class or not, but I do routinely recommend. That's one of my top two postpartum books. Yeah. It's really, really, I think I actually heard about it first when my, I had a friend who had a baby a couple years before we did and she had this book. And so when I had gone over to visit her a couple weeks after she had the baby, she had this book and I made her one of the recipes that was in it. And so I don't I, think we said the name of it. Did we? The first 40 days. First 40 it's days. called. So I like, so I think I might've had it before, you know, we were pregnant maybe. <laughs> like I probably like, already had it. Cause I was like, this is a great book. I'm going to keep it. But I kind of, I like read it in um, pregnancy and it just kind of highlights like how important it is to take care of yourself as a mother the first 40 days after having a baby. Um, and then like as a benefit, there's a bunch of recipes in it that are all really, really delicious. So I actually still make some of the recipes that were in this book because they were that good. Oh wow! Um, and we've made them for other friends that like have babies and then we like make them some of this stuff and bring it over. So it's really great. I recommend it to anybody. Yeah. Yes. Thanks. Hi. I've always heard the book is great, but I've never made any of the recipes. So it's so great to hear feedback that they're really delicious recipes. <laughs> oh yeah. You definitely should make some of them. <laughs> <laughs> have the time, they're totally worth it. There's some good ones in there. Nice. Rich, I was just wondering if you had any reflections on this whole journey or any tips for expectant dads, partners. <clears throat> I, I think if I could go back to the first few weeks, I thought I was being really helpful. And there were a lot of cases when I was just dropping the ball because I was tired and I thought that was okay. But I think Jess was pretty good about understanding it was an adjustment for me too. But at the same time, I I didn't understand how involved the partner 
needs to be in a lot of cases because there are just times when Jess hadn't eaten and wasn't in either a mental capacity or physical capacity to even ask for food. And then I'd go into the pantry and realize we hadn't gone shopping. So, so we didn't have food. And so it took me, it took me a couple days to really get used to how, how prepared and how on my game I needed to be just to make sure that Jess would have lunch or be able to step away for a shower. Um, Cause I was tired, but I hadn't given birth. So I was still <laughs> physically able to run out and do things. And so, I mean, I guess my, my tip for expectant fathers or new fathers would be to just be flexible and maybe roll with it even more than you think you need to, because something will come up or you won't have as much food around or you're not being as supportive as you need to be. And it's not because you're not trying, but it's just because it's a brand new thing for, for everyone, including you. So steep learning curve. Yeah, there's a steep learning curve. So it requires a bit of flexibility, but also sort of an awareness of, you know, every minute and every hour, something could be going on. So just be prepared to run out, like Jess said, at four in the morning for for a random nipple guard or <laughs> run out. Or we have a 24-hour grocery store. So, you know, a lot of times I'd run out at like 11 or midnight and get frozen foods or something quick because we didn't have anything. And that was already my fault. So yeah, just to, just be flexible and, you know, not say no to what might seem ridiculous. I think me learning to say no less or not at all, especially in those first few weeks was really helpful mm-hmm. within, re- you know, like just didn't ask for anything crazy. So that was helpful. <laughs> Mostly just request for food or a break or something like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I found it to be helpful to not say no. And then of course I got to spend time with my kid when I said yes to things like that or yeah. So thank you. Thanks so much for sharing that. Good words. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jess and Rich for meeting up today and sharing all these great details. It's always fun to hear it. It's so different than reading it. And, you know, of course we got more, a lot more details than in the written story. So uh, I've loved hearing it all. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this long but great story. I'm only going to comment on a couple of very quick things today, the epidural rollover and mastitis. I'll talk about the baby blues as compared to more serious perinatal mood and anxiety disorders in next week's episode. For anyone who gets the epidural, it's very important to realize that you shouldn't stay on one side in the bed for more than 30 minutes. This is because the medication will run down to the bottom leg and heavily numb it if you lie on one side for longer. That is, numb it way more heavily than anyone would ever want. So one way partners can provide helpful support with an epidural is to set a timer and have her do what we call the epidural rollover every 30 minutes. It's also just a guiding principle for a healthy birth to stay as active in the bed as possible to help labor continue to progress and change positions every 30, 45 minutes, even if not lying on your side. Also, Jess mentioned having mastitis. Mastitis is a breast infection that sometimes develops during breastfeeding and most commonly in the first few weeks. My go-to breastfeeding website, kellymom.com, reports that among Western women, the rate of occurrence is around 20%. Symptoms are often similar to the flu. Someone with mastitis may experience a fever, chills, body aches, malaise, but also pain in usually just one breast, sometimes with redness. Sometimes it can start with a plugged milk duct, but not always. 
Sometimes it's a sign that rest needs to be a higher priority, and if it persists for more than a day or so, antibiotics may be needed. Another important reason to build in as much support as you can in the first few weeks so that you can rest. The teaser for next week's episode is a very different perspective of another dad on meeting his daughter. Here you go. It didn't feel like an introduction. It felt like a reunion. I don't know how to describe it. It felt like a re- I, I, I don't. That's the only way I can describe it. I felt this little spirit just felt so familiar to me. And I immediately bonded with her. And I, I, I mean, when Nisa left her with me for the first time, she went to the bathroom, came back, and I'm just weeping. You just weep. And you can't explain why. It's such a, it's such a profoundly personal thing when you start immediately bonding with your baby. The thought I'd like for you to spend some time reflecting on this week is, what will it be like to meet my baby at birth? And how can I connect with my baby now? Thanks so, so much for tuning into the Birth Matters podcast. Have a wonderful week and be well.